One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Court Today. Patricia Messenger on C103. And as we head into a bank holiday weekend, weather uh, is always important, particularly for the weekend that's uh, in it with all the St. Patrick's Patrick's Day festivity. And it's a weekend that you like to get out and about and people will be travelling to various destinations. And as always, we'll be encouraging people to go out and attend all of the local parades. So what I met Aaron uh, saying they are forecasting unsettled weather over the coming days because there is a low pressure that unfortunately is moving in across Ireland on Friday night and into Saturday. And that's going to bring some heavy rain with even the risk of some strong uh, winds. Uh, Today, for example, is a windy day uh, here in the south. And then tomorrow it's going to be wet day here in Munster and looking largely like a fairly decent day of bright spells in other parts of the country. But unfortunately, we're getting the rain uh, tomorrow, Friday. And in regards to St. Patrick's Day itself on Sunday at the moment, it is looking cold, a blustery day with sunshine and passing uh, showers. And some of those showers could be of hail. So when you're getting your shamrock ready, can I suggest you have winter woolies and wet gear as well. A very good morning to you. You're welcome along to the programme. John Paul taking your calls at 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 86 uh, Interested in your thoughts on what is happening across the water in the United Kingdom with regards to Brexit. It did seem like a rather bizarre day what was coming out of Westminster yesterday and then of course the big news and the news everybody was waiting on uh, was the tariffs and devastating tariffs will mean of course that the price of Irish food for British consumers will skyrocket and it will force many of the British public to simply turn away from Irish produce when it comes down to cost if they're looking at a piece of beef in their local supermarket and one piece of beef is double the price of the other piece of beef even though the other piece of beef probably came from Brazil and they were always used to getting high quality beef from Ireland but cost is a big influencer when people for the majority of people when they're in the supermarket uh, tariffs are going to apply on 13% of goods coming into the United Kingdom and of course the key ones for us here in Ireland are the ones in the agri-food sector beef, lamb, pork, poultry some dairy products Cheddar cheese, we were all nervous of. Cheddar cheese uh, is in, included in it. And the most vulnerable sector, beef. The UK proposals, will, it's 53% is the tariff. What does that mean? It would add approximately €1,500 a tonne on manufactured beef. That's your minced beef. And 2,500 uh, €2,500 uh, on uh, steak 
export, ex- exports. That would represent approximately a 45% increase on the price of Irish mints. What British consumers are paying today, it would go up by 45% and 20 to 25% on the price of an Irish uh, steak. And then the tariff on cheddar's cheese that would be expected to cost the industry 200 million euro because we export a lot of our cheddar cheese. I tell you, people in the United Kingdom love the Irish cheddar cheese. They might be turning off it though when, when they go to buy it and realise how expensive it's going to cost. Uh, Irish butter known the world over. 22 million euro is what the additional tariffs are going to cost uh, on uh, that. Now the one thing that really came out yesterday and which everyone was saying, well what about a hard border? What's going to happen in Northern Ireland? So when the British government were announcing these tariffs is this, of course these tariffs, are, there's an old deal Brexit. This is what they're saying the tariffs are going to look like. So when they were asked what's going to happen with the United Kingdom, they said the proposals make an exception for goods travelling from Southern Ireland to Northern Ireland, meaning there would be no hard border. There would be no customs check. There would be no physical infrastructure on the island and therefore there will be no tariff on goods moving across the border no matter where the place of uh, origin. So a product for example made in Dublin. They At the moment that product would go out from Dublin port. Now instead it can go up on the M- M1, go straight up the north and go to the port in, in Lagan and instead be transported to go into Northern Ireland and then be shipped across to England and there wouldn't be any customs checks and there wouldn't be any tariffs. Now the UK admitted straight away that that proposed regime would leave Northern Ireland vulnerable to smuggling because it would mean that companies across Europe could say, okay, let's ship our goods. We can ship them into Ireland because we're all part of the EU. Then let's bring them up to Northern Ireland and then ship them across uh, to England. So it will leave and certainly a lot of smuggling uh, could go on. And sources in Dublin are saying it would turn the north into a backdoor route to Britain. And if the situation became untenable, then the UK say they would consider putting uh, checks on uh, ports. And that new tariff tariff schedule would apply. People saying when would it come in? 11pm on March 29th because that's the time when England will be leaving will crash out of Brexit. That's the deadline for the United uh, Kingdom um, and there's so the British government are saying new tariff regime would come in 11pm 29th of March and it would stay in place for 12 months. That 12 months then would be used to negotiate an arrangement that maintains a border but doesn't leave the UK as exposed to smuggling is what they're saying. But the EU came back straight away and said the answer already exists. It's there in the form of uh, the backstop. I mean, to me, the minute I heard that, I mean, I was straight away, alarm bells started to ring and I started to think about World Trade Organization rules. Surely they wouldn't be allowed under a World Trade Organization rule. And seemingly it was one of the first messages that came back from the EU to the United Kingdom was that it is a breach of World Trade Organization uh, rules. And the second message that came out from the EU to MPs was that they can vote all day on all they like about Brexit and extra time and about a no-deal Brexit. But at the end of the day, it's going to be up to the EU member states to decide by unanimous vote if there's to be an extension and what that duration uh, is going to be. So there's almost a sense that the EU are getting a little bit sick and tired of what's happening in Westminster. And following yesterday, the comings and goings, one would have to wonder, do the people at Westminster even know 
what's happening. Are they even talking to each other because it doesn't look like uh, they are. It is a what a, a jolly fine mess uh, we find ourselves in. Anyway, we're, we, I, we wel- I welcome your thoughts and comments on it. We will discuss it later on in the programme because we happen to have Deputy Micheál Martin, the leader of Fianna Fáil, joining us on the, on the programme. I mean, he, he yesterday when he heard about the tariffs uh, was saying this would be Armageddon for certain sectors, certain uh, agricultural sectors, in particular the beef sector. So I'd be interested in getting the views of Micheál Martin on what's coming out on Brexit uh, so far. We've invited Micheál Martin on because he's got an interesting, the Fianna Fáil party have an interesting uh, proposal and one I think that could help solve the housing crisis. It won't completely solve the housing crisis, but it certainly, I think, would allow more people to buy their own homes. And what they're suggesting is, is open up the credit unions. The credit unions all over the country have lots of money on savings, on deposit. They want to loan it out. They would love to start giving out more mortgages. They give out a very limited number of mortgages, but their hands are tied on the number of mortgages that they can give. So this Fianna Fáil proposal says, look, let's look at the credit unions and let's see. We know they're begging to give out mortgages. So let's see what rules need to be put in place. What do the central bank need to do? What rules do they need to change to allow credit unions to give out mortgages? And I think a lot of people, this is this is no slur on bank, banks, but I think a lot of people would prefer to be dealing with a local credit union when it comes to getting a mortgage than going to their high street bank. And there's also a large cohort of people who are kind of stuck in the middle because they can't get a mortgage. They earn too much to get social housing. So that sort of rules them out ever getting a council house. But then they're not earning enough in order to get a mortgage from a main street, high street bank uh, because of the rules and regulations around how much you can borrow and houses, as we know, are rising all the time. So they can't get a mortgage big enough because they don't earn enough, but they do earn enough to pay back a mortgage, but just not under the rules of the main street banks. So that group of people certainly, I think, would love to go knocking on the door of their local uh, credit union. So we're going to discuss that on the programme today. Uh, We're also going to look at two separate, very worrying reports that are showing the Irish and our relationship with alcohol and the way we drink and the way we consume and the amount of alcohol we consume. We just are not getting a handle on it. We are all drinking too much. But there's a separate study came out that looked at adolescents, looked at teenagers. And now they were looking at not just drinking, they were looking at the general health of teenagers, not just in Ireland. This was um, an international study. And Irish teenagers... Irish girls in particular did very badly, scored very badly when it came to binge drinking. And there's a huge number of young girls binge drinking. And it just goes back to our whole attitude and our whole relationship with alcohol. As adults and as parents, do we need to throw a check on our drinking because of the image we are portraying and the example we are showing to our children and in particular to our adolescent children. So we're going to look at that on the eve of our national festivities, St. Patrick's Day, when a lot of our celebration will will evolve around alcohol. We're also going to hear from a listener in Bandon who has contacted us, who's getting very frustrated about traffic congestion in the town. The flood relief works are going on. And I know we'll have people saying in other towns, look, we had flood relief works many, you know, many years ago. 
we all have to put up with these traffic delays when you have that type of road work going on or any kind of road, you know, road works where the roads are being dug up, if there's new water pipes being laid, whatever it is. But when it's a major problem like flood relief work, you just kind of have to put up with the delays knowing when the end result comes you'll be delighted and happy, you know, and it'll, you'll have forgotten all about the traffic congestion. Well, our listener feels that more could be done so that the traffic congestion in the town of Bandon isn't as bad as it is at the moment. If anybody else has a story to share about being stuck in traffic in Bandon for an exceptionally long period of time and what are the solutions? Is the tra- I mean, it sounds from what this woman is telling us that the traffic management plan that's in place is not working. And if it's not working, uh, why? Member from Garda Shikona, will join us for this week's Crime File and then Jane Pickett will be with us in the final hour of the programme. If you have a pet question, you can get it in throughout the day. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And by the way, somebody pointing out on, um, uh, by WhatsApp, it's Westminster, not Westminster. And my apologies, it's one of those words I always get wrong. I, I may from now refer to it uh, maybe it's just as the House of Commons instead. Somebody on Brexit says, uh, Patricia, Like you, I am not only fed up with all of the confusion re-Brexit, but my understanding is that the UK chose to leave the EU. Am I being ignorant or just lack understanding? If they chose to leave and terms were set out two years ago, why then are they at this stage still being allowed to continue to dictate to the leaders of the EU? It seems now that they see the ramifications of their vote and are now afraid to uh, stand alone. Yeah, I think think you've nailed it uh, with that interpretation of it uh, for sure. And uh, Michael in Castellan who always has a really good handle on anything to do with the the EU in particular. He's good handle on government things as well but, but when it comes to the EU he has a particularly good handle on it. He says, Patricia, hi, yesterday was one of the most extraordinary shambolic days of confusion ever witnessed in the hub, the House of Commons. Harold Wilson once said, was it Harold Wilson said this? A week is a long time in politics. But yesterday must have seemed like a year for Theresa May. As the early hours of nighttime approached and the stars began to twinkle in the sky, the whole balance of power shifted in Westminster. By default, rather than by design, the anti-Brexiteers and the anti-crash-outs got together and they had huge success. The Brexiteers now need Theresa May. They now, for the first time, need her. They need her deal. It's the only way they're going to get Brexit. They now know if she gets to the 29th of March and there still is no Brexit, then there'll never be one. With that in mind, I would think that when Theresa May brings her deal back to the table within the next week, it has every chance of going through. I would say more than every chance at this stage the DUP will even become irrelevant so says Michael thank you for that Michael 1850 keep your texts and whatsapps coming or if you want to call John Paul uh, you can you can also email Patricia at c103.ie now Sharon has asked me to mention that the Skibbereen Country Market is doing a charity coffee morning on the 22nd of March so next week and they're doing it for the local rapid response uh, doc Dr. Jason and his team. There will be open from 11.30 11 11 on to 2pm on 
22nd of March with free teas and coffees and a free cake. They just ask people to make a donation. So it's whatever you can afford uh, to give. And there'll also be a raffle. Uh, thank you, Sharon, uh, for that. So if you are free on the morning of the 22nd of March, why not pop along to Skibbering Country Mark Market for that special Charity Coffee Morning in aid of the West Cork Rapid Response. 1850 Let's take a break and we're back talking about alcohol and our battle with alcohol and binge drinking in this country. Laura Gelga, RC103. Anne Frank, Bacallian Og, Dudoki, Anne Frank, a four Boston Holocaust. Ruguk Anne Frank, Erin Darlow, Dag, and Vib Mehiv, Nadeg, Fehane, a Frank Rex, a Germon. Akvaga Tailukidi, Olnok, Devor, Ganora, Hula, Viega, Aher. Lillian and Darakoga Downda, Jura, Clenum Winter, Dolliv Lock, and Nestapo. Norvishi, the Vlock, Madshi, Dillon, Lenatahi, Ogslenis Munti. Scrivshi and Quidismo, Dolliden, Ivermlichka, the Gwina, Dervanum Kitty. Scrivshi, the Four, Dillon Freshen, Aknir Honig, she'd reave air. Rodamon, a Scrivshi, in a Dillon, no, when I write, I can shake off all my cares, but will I ever write something great? Vishi, the Vlock, if I go Tereshan Koga, Honig Aher An Air Andilin, August Viuna Air Nur, Konik Shay, Keiko Abi Savishi, Tereshe Lab, Dantik Shay, Bad Sheikh Gayfuin, Diary of a Young Girl, Salaton Nuan, Todilan and Franker, Kandisna Cafe, She is Kalula on Holocaust, Le Bluer Gwelga, Girl Closter Davish, Davis College, Ismisha Abi Brunach. CKD Asa 3 Kirkig. According to two reports out this week, Ireland's reputation as a country of heavy drinkers is not waning. And uh, that's a worry as we head into St. Patrick's Day with alcohol again at the centre of most of our festivities. To discuss the latest shock statistics, I'm joined by Ewan McKinney of Alcohol Action uh, Ireland. Good morning to you, Ewan. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. Firstly, the amount of alcohol we are drinking. 11 litres of pure alcohol per yeah. person last year. That's right. That's shocking. I, I was really taken aback by that. I know, yeah. And it's, it, unfortunately, it's, 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 it's persisting at a relatively high level. And again, it's re- reflective of a period, I suppose, since recovering out of the deeper economic recession that we suffered, we, you know, since around 2012, 2013, we've, we've increasingly seen alcohol sales continue to rise and this is just further evidence of that that particular trend and we're particularly struck by you know when you look into drill down into the data that the revenue have provided us with you can see you know some very stark issues like around spirits consumption so over the last five years is that to do with cocktails because everywhere you go now, there's cocktails on sale and, and, and gin has become... Exactly. I think it's down to gin and I think it's down to... Like, there's a phenomenon now amongst sort of the artisan developer of, you know, some sort of mysterious, great uh, product of gin and, and whiskey. But in actual fact, of course, these are just ancient products as, as long as time itself. Uh, but, I mean, there is, a, there, is a, there is a trend, undoubtedly, towards uh, these, these, these types of products. And, of course, they've been heavily marketed by the industry and that's what's of course driving this on so we've had a 21% rise over a five year period in the consumption of spirits and you know that's people people reflect their consumption reflects what's marketed towards them you know they don't go mm. out seeking 
these products. They buy them because they're marketed at tourism. And but wasn't, again, wasn't there a target set in 2013 to reduce our alcohol consumption by next year's in 2020? That's right. But I suppose the, the, the crucial point about that was that, that, that target was established in a government decision in 2013, as you rightly point to, which is, what, six years ago. And that was attached to passing the public health alcohol bill as it was then. Oh, okay. However, the public health alcohol bill didn't pass, as you know. You and yeah, I it's still stalled, yeah. It didn't pass until last, late last year. So we're now we're now really at at zero in relation to that target. So when that was been when that was established, I think the consumption figure in 2013 was around ten and a half liters, or there, there just maybe and they were, they were trying to get down to nine point one or something, down to wasn't it? Nine point one. So we we essentially now have the clock running since last October, so to speak, and I suppose we're really realistically looking at a target of nine point one liters, hopefully sometime around twenty. 25 or there thereabouts. However, I would have deep concerns about that because actually the measures that are proposed in the bill that we fought so hard to get in the Act haven't been commenced. And there's a real dilemma around the Department of Health and the Minister for Health actually commencing the really important uh, best buys, as they call them, in, in the context of the policy that was designed. And the thing with, uh, like, you're not trying to be a killjoy here and, you know, and, and I appreciate not we're heading all, into St. No. Patrick's weekend and people will be having having a drink. But we, we have to remember the amount of money that is spent every year in this country on alcohol-related illnesses. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we're not in the business of killjoy. We're not in the business of prohibition. What we're really about is trying to get people to readjust. And this may take a generational shift but what we're trying to do is get people to realize the risk in relation to alcohol consumption and to reduce their consumption accordingly and in that context you know we do do need to be mindful that nearly 12 percent of our public health budget is spent on alcohol related illnesses 12 percent yes 12 percent like over over 10 percent of the beds that are currently in cork university hospital or wherever hospital you want to pick are been been occupied by people who have alcohol related illnesses, and that's the reality. Which leads to uh, you know over a thousand deaths per annum. Three people die on a day in relation to alcohol yeah, in Ireland. Yeah. So we have a really really deep problem that it just isn't shifting. And I suppose what we're trying to highlight is, you know, we we we've spent a very long time trying to develop a piece of legislation to regulate and to curb the consumption and the promotion of alcohol, and now we finally have gotten that, and we really need to press on with that. And unless they are developed and implemented in a coherent and cohesive way, you know, we'd be sitting here having in half a generation's time looking at exactly yeah, the same thing. And still having the same conversation. And the other study was the one in the Lancelet. This was yeah. the one that looked at uh, adolescents, and I know they were looking at their overall o- overall health. Yeah. But binge drinking came out in this, uh, on, our t- on our teenage Girls in particular. Yeah, well, I think there was there was a couple of just slightly dramatic headlines out of that study that I would sort of you know caution a little bit. I mean, I think the the difference between the male and female side in relation to teenage drinking wasn't that largely different. You know, there were around sixty percent uh, of teenagers boys were about fifty eight, fifty nine, and oh, okay. the girls were sixty one. So there's not okay. a massive difference in fairness to the girls. But however, what it does point to is that 
there is a continuing problem with children drinking in Ireland. And we have spoken in the past about you know, 60,000 children are starting to drink in Ireland every year. And we know that when those children start drinking so early that they are undoubtedly beginning a path which is going to lead to excessive consumption of alcohol into their adult years and undoubtedly a, a pattern of deep poor health outcomes when they are when they are older and that's that's the tragedy that's the thing that we really need to grasp and that is why the measures especially around promotion and, and advertising of alcohol which are to be changed need to be implemented because we need to protect that generation so that they can begin the process to be the first generation that will actually drink 40 percent less and consume alcohol enjoyably but within the context of a low-risk approach. And teenagers, we know, are very much affected by price. And that's why the minimum pricing to outlaw the cheap drink has to be be introduced. You're spot on. That's absolutely correct, yes. So the minimum unit pricing is, regrettably, it has somewhat become wrapped up a little bit within the current tobacco that is Brexit, as we know, uh, because we're concerned, the government, I think, are probably concerned about some degree of cross-border trade, potentially. However, the point is precisely, as you say, it is is designed to be a public health measure. It's about targeting two particular cohorts who are particularly attracted to cheap, strong alcohol. And that is the young who have a very limited budget and therefore will only be able to buy so much if the if the product is more expensive, and the heavy dependent drinker on the other end of the spectrum, who equally is uh, is 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 tied by a budget and tied by a, a limited amount of uh, uh, disposable income. And where are we at with the Public Health Alcohol Act? Well, as I say, there are about twenty three measures in the Act. Uh, about three of the measures have been commenced in, in the immediate sense. Uh, so come November of this year coming now, we will start to see some developments around the placement of advertisements, which are not insignificant. And then the following November beyond that, we'll see further developments in relation to the much talked about uh, consumption or the alcohol, separate, the separation of alcohol in stores uh, to some degree. Uh, so the, by, by the 2021 uh, we'll see uh, probably nine of the measures involved will have been implemented. But the big ticket items, the big real best buys, like the minimum unit pricing, like the change in the content of advertising, and like the labelling of products, all of those, there's no site, no timeline, and no indication as to when any of those measures will be implemented. Okay, and I can see lots of people uh, wanting to comment uh, on on this. And uh, like what, what, Pat in North Cork is making the point. I think the answer uh, has got to. We've got to look at the strength of alcohol that we are selling. Some of our, some of the. I'm, I'm assuming this. The, these are the spirits he's talking yeah. about. Uh, they're they're just too strong. Anthony Mallow says I was out recently at an event and had to drink. I availed of non-alcoholic, mm. non-alcoholic drinks. There were three or four brands that are well 
well known and are recognised as alcoholic drinks. But as I had a bottle in my hand of the popular drink, nobody asked me any questions. I've since yeah. gone out and just drank non-alcoholic drinks. Nobody asks. But, but OK, I think the point he's making is he feels he needs to have a beer in his hand that if you don't have a beer, everyone's going, oh, God, there must be something wrong with well, you that you're not drinking. That's just a classic endeavour of, of, of peer pressure and culture pressure that we exist in. You know, we think that the, the absolute normality of consumption of alcohol is just all pervasive. And if you don't join that club, you are seen to be somehow, you know, a renegade in relation to the, the party or the, the event that you're at. And I think that is, a, that, is a, that, is a, that is undoubtedly a difficulty. But I think increasingly we're beginning to see some changes in that respect. I think it is beginning to fall into that bracket, just as tobacco did with, say, like in the late 80s or thereabouts. People are beginning to say, that, that's okay, you know, you're okay not to be drinking, you know, and and just when people didn't smoke or when they said they were going to step out to have a cigarette or something like that, people said, okay, well, at least you're going outside to have that cigarette, yeah, you know. Yeah. And it's about cultural shift. It's about that really generational shift that has taken place. Like, as you know yourself, if you walked into any room and you lit up a cigarette, you would be absolutely set upon absolutely, by everybody in the room. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, but 30 years ago, that wasn't the case. Yeah, in fact, yeah. 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. But, but, but I mean, I would know friends of mine that when they were pregnant at the early stages of pregnancy and they didn't want anyone to know they were pregnant, you know, they were waiting to make the announcement. And if they were out at a social gathering, they had to let on they were drinking because if they didn't, people were going to pounce on, oh, you must be pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Did, I was Like, what yeah. is wrong with society? that there's something wrong with just going out and I'm just going to have a mineral water tonight yes, you know, know yeah. but it's, it's because crazy. it's so central to yeah. our existence yeah Okay, listen, uh, Ewan, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. We will indeed. Bye-bye. That is uh, Ewan McKinney who joins us from Alcohol Action uh, Ireland. Mick is in East Cork and he works as a security, uh, a a doorman, late night bars. Oh man, I imagine he's got stories to tell. Uh, Good morning to you, Mike. Uh, Good morning, Patricia. Uh, You're welcome to the programme. Do you see alcohol uh, being wildly abused? Yeah, it's a huge problem actually today. And if you go back, it's all to governance and the lack of governance. And if you go back to the early noughties, uh, uh, the Fianna Fáil government introduced the uh, bar exten- extension orders. Now, that's proved to be an absolute disaster. I don't think there's any survey being done on it or anything like that. But if you go back to the, when they extended the pub hours, late, yeah. night opening, late night bars, this has created a massive problem for the country. It's spoiled the whole drinking culture out of control. And every weekend, I mean, I've worked with all different generations of people from uh, students right up to people in their 70s. So I've had a very broad knowledge in dealing with people and I've seen it firsthand. I've also had a family to rear, and I've seen it when my kids grown up. Um, it's a huge problem. And like, we have, a, we have a drink culture here and what did the government do in the, in the 2000 and maybe 12, no earlier, 2015 or earlier than that again. They introduced pub uh, extension hours and the whole thing is completely out of control. So I suppose every town has a late bar at this stage, do they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, they're absolutely. and they're in the city, and they are open till what one, two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, two o'clock, half two, and you know it's too late. I mean, what we should be doing, we should be encouraging people to go out earlier and come home earlier. That's the problem at the moment. The whole culture, people start going out at eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, could be walking all day. So you got people who are under stress, fatigue, and all these behavioural patterns with the inclusion of alcohol can create a lot of problems in people themselves. Yeah, and I think the other problem with the going out later, if you talk to younger people in particular, they're house drinking. I think yes, house drinking, or drinking at home is a huge, huge, that by the time they get out, and, yeah. and you certainly would, would see that, absolutely. they're tanked up before they even go absolutely. in to buy their first drink. 
And some bars are really good. If that staff really trained, they know when a guy or lady has enough, they can call it. Some bars, they just don't do that. And that's a huge difference for people like us on the doors dealing with people and staff themselves really deal with people. So some bars are really good. I've worked in some bars where they've, they can call it. The bar staff are really switched on. Yeah. That's really, it makes all job much easier as well. And some bars and clubs, that doesn't happen. And then obviously it creates other problems. So it's a huge problem, massive problem. And it's not being addressed. And the government turned the blind eye. They just see the revenue. But it's created other problems. You see how the hostels are choked with people at night, weekends. And the guard are stretched because they are called incidents. They could be doing other things. It's ambulances are being used. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, I just thought that that statistic from from you and 12% of our health budget goes on alcohol-related illnesses. God, that would replace a lot of hips in older people and it would do Uh, scoliosis uh, operations on children. Well, I think education and awareness is huge. We should be going to the schools and teaching and, you know, giving similar to young people about the dangers and the awareness of alcohol, what it can lead to crime, so forth, their own welfare, their own health long term. We don't have that. We need to put in a massive injection of promotion in the awareness of of, uh, alcohol abuse. Are you still working in door security? Yes, yes. Will you be busy this weekend? Very. Will you? Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. as people, what will everyone goes? I mean, we even talk about it. Let's go out and wet the shamrock. I mean, it's just everything well, evolves around that. You know, it's a tradition, a massive yeah. tradition. Uh, All right. you know, it's All a right. problem, a problem. All right, Mike, thank you for that. And thank uh, thanks much. for joining us. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Uh, text 0862103103. Patton from Weiss says the biggest problem with binge drinking is the word binge. I don't know many that go out and have one or two drinks. If you drink over two or three drinks, you're a binge drinker so I think the word binge drinking they just seem to laugh at it and they target the silly drinking as in getting drunk before they go out yet nobody seems to know how to go out and just have one or two drinks isn't that the case they seem to want to go out and everybody has to get drunk you're not having a good night unless you go out and get drunk. Um, our lines are open. Nick Richards, weekday afternoons from 1. C103. Hello, Nick, how are you? I'm good, I think. How are you? Good, 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 good. <laughs> uh, is there a difference between the ground and the floor? No. I followed you all the way to Mallow, where I live. Oh, hello, fireplace lady. <laughs> how are you? I'm very good. Amy, you just won your share of €5,000. Oh, my God, that's fantastic. Thank you. Nicholas, how are you? I'm good. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. C103. A major flood relief scheme is currently ongoing in the West Cork town of Bandon and as with all such works, traffic delays are always a feature. But according to uh, Eileen Holland, who is a business owner in the town, one uh, and one of our listeners, the traffic management plan is not working. And Eileen has contacted us and she joins me. Good morning to you, Eileen. Hello, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome. How bad are the traffic delays? I'll tell you, um, generally speaking, at peak times in the day, and the N71 is a very, very busy road. Um, the traffic, you have the roundabout there just by Kevin O'Leary's, which is taking traffic coming from the bypass and from the town, mm. and then on the um, eastern side coming from Cork. So what's happening is that there doesn't seem to be any diversion. All the traffic is going into a bottleneck on the to, to get it. And there was a little junction on the left-hand side where the cars that would be going, say, to Clonakilty or Skibbereen or further West Cork or whatever, didn't need to go to the town. They would turn left at that point. Yeah. Now what seems to have happened is that the contractors are using that almost like a holding bay for pipes and everything else. And some of their traffic coming in doing the works, you know, so it's blocked off totally. 
So there's no. no there's no left turn there for the people coming from the city heading west. They, they have to go, they actually have to go to the roundabout. They're forced to go to the roundabout. And on the on the town side then, if you have people coming from the town or coming from Dunmanway or on that side of the town, heading yeah. for, the, for the city, they're, they're, they have to give way to the traffic coming on the bypass. So you have two fairly busy roads going in to the, and people coming from the bypass have the right of way. Mm. Or, or for the people coming, say from West Cork. So I think, like, the, I, I think that you know, just it's only a temporary thing. We know there's going to be problems. Everyone will accept that, but that there should have been some provision, like, say, for instance, when we did have the flooding in Bandon, traffic that couldn't get through the town, they were able to use the Belly Langley route. You know, it's a it's a smaller, it's an old for the lighter traffic. I'm not talking about the big trucks, but I'm talking about all the cars. The lighter cars. But you're so saying it's it's just a peak time. So we're talking about morning and evening, morning and well, afternoon. It could be anything because I had it at lunchtime. I mean, I'm living in the town, and it's taking me. If I was to go through the town, it would take me twenty minutes, fifteen to twenty minutes, to get from the Glaston Road up here to Castle Road where I live. Which is what? But five minutes not oh, normal. Maximum five five minutes. Stay there because Councillor Gillian Coughlin, uh, we've invited um, uh, Gillian to take part in this conversation. Uh, Good morning to you, uh, Gillian. Uh, Now, you've raised the unacceptable level of traffic congestion at council level. Uh, What are you getting back and what are the possible solutions? Yes, Patricia. So we have, as you know, the main drainage uh, has finally begun in Bandon. We've been waiting for this in Bandon for over 10 years now to replace our drains, our, our mains water pipes and our sewers. So it is welcome work and it is very important that this, this work is undertaken for the future of the town. But yes, there will be a short-term pain for long-term gain. And um, initially, when even just the scoping works were being undertaken, I felt that the traffic management and warning systems were inadequate and I raised that at council level. I do feel that the contractors have improved their traffic management systems and um, warning systems and that people have become somewhat, I suppose, more used to the... Um, the systems that are in place. However, it is causing a backup. I was led to believe that there would be diversionary signs um, at in Shannon for, as Eileen has mentioned there, um, the forge at the forge there for Ballylangley. Now that road really cannot take, as she has indicated, well heavy traffic. I think that may be a fear there that heavy traffic might start crossing that busy junction and creating um, creating problems there. Also, there are no. Signs so is that why there. they haven't put signs up? I, I can't be sure. We were told that there would be signs diverting there, um, but it hasn't happened as yet. Um, so I, I'm not sure why that hasn't happened. Now, I did inquire also um, as to Eileen's solution there to use the Mill Road, to indicate Mill Road as a diversion off of the N71. Two reasons were given uh, as to why that could not take place. Seemingly, there are very strict traffic regulations whereby you cannot nominate a tertiary road like that as a, an alternative, as a, as a diversion from a main end road, a, a main primary road. And B, also now, you will have, you will, and Eileen would have noticed in particular, the trench, the actual trench into which the pipes are being laid has now extended beyond that junction. So they actually cannot use that now anyway, realistically, you know. Um, you cannot cross over, obviously, a whole road. So, um, you know, it will, it is difficult, and particularly with, the closure of Oliver Plunkett Street at present, um, that has certainly exacerbated traffic management um, around the town. You know, it has created snarl ups and, and it's creating issues. So, but, are, but are you basically saying people just have to put up with it? 
I'm saying there will be a level of that, Patricia. There will have to be a level of that. How long more? Um, 20 months is oh. the scheduled work yes in Bandon oh. um, so there will there will be pain there is no doubt about that um, now it will be localised you know there will be certain you know work will take place on say the Glashan Road and then it will finish yeah, they'll move on, on yeah, but it will move on, on to other places so alright um, Eileen short term pain long term gain when it's all over and done with you'll be relieved well I, I think myself right that the, there's going people will lose their patience at the level of... The, like, I, we have a business out on the Glassman Road. And to give an example, we can see from our window the traffic. And it's down, literally, to a snail's pace. For a car to pass our gate, which is a very white gate, where trucks are going in and out all the time. Like, it could be talking about it just... Snail, it could take five minutes, ten minutes to get past this... Is your business gate. affected? Well, I mean, not at the moment it's not. Okay. But it probably will be going forward because the, when when they won't have to put down these pipes, there there is a point where they won't have to go pipes across our entrance, and we've got big trucks going in out there several times a day. So I'm not sure. Like I I believe that a lot of the work that they're doing where they're digging up, we had a lot of it now with Will's brothers when they were doing the the flood defences. That was last and year, yeah. But they complimented them because they were brilliant. They had little teams all over the town doing different areas at a time. And we were, we all knew it was happening. There was nobody in any issues whatsoever. But what's happening, the one now that's down there near near the roundabout, it's like the bones are two weeks, they're really in one spot. And a lot of that work should be done, I think, at night time anyway. Okay, when, when all right. All right, look, I'm over on time. Gillian, Gillian, has that been looked at doing nighttime work? Or is it a health and I, safety issue? I did suggest it. I did yeah. suggest did you get anywhere? I think as per, you know, as per contract, I don't think it is part uh, of the contract. But I, I haven't heard anything. And I know yet. it can be health and safety issues as well. We've yes. got to leave it there, ladies. Yes. Listen, thank you for thank that. You. And uh, thank you for joining us. That is uh, Eileen Holland of Acorn Water in Bandon and local councillor Gillian uh, Cockham. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Lovely call in this morning from, I don't know the lady's name, but she was ringing on behalf of her parents who are Pat and Bridget from Mallow. And she rang to say, uh, she rang reception to say, would you tell Patricia, thank you, because she saved my parents 180 euro yesterday. And I was like, oh, that's great. How did I save them 180 euro? Uh, Pat and Bridget in Mallow have been listening to me talking this week about car insurance and can I add in house insurance? And when you get your premium in, don't just take the first quote you get, even if it's a little bit down or the same as last year and people think, oh, that's OK, I can afford that, I'll pay that. Ring around, shop around and you'll be amazed at the savings you can make. Pat and Bridget heeded my warning and they got their premium in for their car insurance, decided to shop around and would you believe they saved €180 Euro on their car insurance uh, for the next year. So that's great news and I hope you go out and do something special, the pair of you together. Go out and have a nice meal or something uh, with that money, with that savings. But that's, uh, that's terrific. And please, uh, I, 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 it gives me the opportunity to say it again, never accept the first quote you get in, even if it means ringing back the company who've quoted you to say, can you do any better on, on that? But spend a little bit of time. You can either do it online or you can get down the telephone numbers from the various companies and ring around and just get 
the quotes. You'd be surprised at the saving you can make. So it's made thrilled to hear the Pat for Pat and Bridget, 180 euro. And a texter says, Hi Patricia, I had to laugh about you being pulled up over the pronunciation of Westminster. I was saying Westminster. I put an extra I in there somewhere. Westminster. I'm going to call the House of Commons from now on. Uh, this texter says, I had a go at you a few years ago for saying pantomime instead of pantomime. The best one that I wish people can't say, says this texter, is, I can't say it, Woodchester sauce. I, I just can't say it. And anyway, I don't like the sauce, so it's OK. I don't have to say it. We English, says this texter, uh, shouldn't criticise as we can't say names with a H in the middle, like a Hearn or Kelleher. I didn't know that. English people have a problem saying words with H in the middle. Anyway, I'll do my best to pronounce Westminster and pantomime correctly. I know another one that I have an issue with and this being from South Tipperary. We have a tendency to say donkey. We put a U in it instead of an O. It's, it's donkey and we say donkey. And it's kind of a real South Tipperary, West Waterford uh, kind of a word that I never really noticed, I said, until I came uh, nearly 30 years ago now to Cork. And I remember over oh, about 25 years ago, I got asked to do the voiceover for a DVD video, I think it was at the time, that was made that was being made for the Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll. And I'm a great fan of the Donkey Sanctuary and the fantastic work that they do. So I was only too glad to help them out. So the script was sent on and I had to record this script. And then I realised, oh my God, the amount of donkeys mentioned in the script. Ah, it took forever. And I had to, I literally had a big piece of card in front of me with the D-O-N, Don, written. So that every time the word donkey came up in the script I'd look at this word and uh, say it so so yeah um, mea culpa I say I get a lot of words wrong but I suppose a lot of us do uh, but and but I have great listeners and they won't let me away with it that's for sure and they'll point it out uh, straight away can I stay on things to do with England and the United Kingdom and Brexit and all of that because Pat says morning petition there's no because it's according to Pat there's no such thing as the United Kingdom or indeed Londonderry why do people in England want to force things on us when we don't want them. Take Brexit. The majority of people in their United Kingdom voted against leaving, says uh, Pat. Well, the majority voted to leave, but just a very slim majority. So yes, there was a very large minority voted to stay. That certainly is for sure. It depends on what way you want to uh, spin that one. OK, on drink. We've got a lot of commentary in on drink and our peace with Ewan McKinney of Alcohol Action Ireland we invited Ewan on because those two separate reports that were out, one from the Exchequer showing the amount of alcohol we consumed last year and that's very easy to work out on the amount of money that the government take in, the tax returns that are taken in on alcohol and we are increasing particularly on the harder spirits, the gin. Gin is the big thing at the moment. Everywhere you go, the huge big gin glasses and the wonderful cocktails and everywhere you go now, there is a variety of uh, cocktails on sale. And I have to say, I, I like the odd cocktail uh, as well. Some of them, though, could be lethal because they can be more than one spirit. You can have two spirits and some other kind of an alcohol and a wine or something or a champagne all in the one drink. So they can be, from an alcohol point of view, very, very strong. Stephen says, your caller has taken the words right out of my mouth. And I take it this was Mick who joined us, who works in security at late night bars. Uh, 
Um, Stephen says, taking the words right out of my mouth, not alone that, but Fianna Fáil also made drink freely available in every supermarket and off licence, as well as extending the opening hours. And now we're supposed to be surprised that we have a drink problem and a drink culture in this country. Not to mention, at the same time, successive governments have come down like a ton of bricks on social drinking in pubs. There really is no incentive whatsoever to tackle the drink problem. If anything, it's been facilitated. That's from Stephen in uh, Kerry. Pat says, Patricia, if it's in one's head that they need to get drunk, then they have a problem. And that's what should be addressed, says Pat. Someone else by text says they should stop the drink ads on TV. Well, I know the the public health alcohol bill that you and that's been stalled for quite a number of years. I know advertising certainly comes into that one. Sheila says, I think about the nightclubs, the way there is no dancing going on. It's just people downing drink. Uh, Sheila says, no one would offer you a cigarette anymore with the cost of them. All right, that's, that was you and making the point how we've changed our attitude on cigarettes. And there was a time when people would offer you a cigarette. You're right. If people smoke, they're smoking themselves. They're not passing it around for sure. Someone else says pubs that open until one or two in the morning are called nightclubs. It's these that are, are the problem. But what we were also talking about, not just the nightclubs, we were talking about late night bars. That's what Mick was on about and there isn't practically every town has a late bar now they're not as opposed to the nightclubs are still there the nightclubs are traditionally in the hotels and um, even though they're, they're not all um, attached to hotels but it's late bars was what Mick was talking about as opposed to nightclubs and another texter says ban the sale of alcohol in supermarkets it is crazy to see alcohol on sale cheaper than soft drinks and cheaper than food. That's also contained in the bill that Ewan was saying that they are fighting tooth and nail alcohol action in Ireland are the public health alcohol uh, bill. It was meant to have been passed last year and last year if it had passed it would have been after many many years of debate and part of that legislation will allow for the introduction of minimum pricing and that then will completely outlaw cheap drink and of course, it's also talking about bringing graphic labelling as well. And that's, you know, there's a, there's a lot in it. But the sale of cheap, cheap, cheap drink would be outlawed if that bill was introduced. But they just seem to be a little bit slow on bringing, on, on bringing that in. 1850 Can I give a word, a warning that came in from one of our listeners earlier on WhatsApp? to say, uh, hi Patricia, would you please warn people that there's a bloke, it's either in a white or a grey van, calling around to people's houses and it's people that have skip bags. He called to me at around 7.30 last night and to be honest, I didn't like the way he knocked on my door and also knocked on my window. He seemed very demanding and very pushy. And that just made this listener feel a little bit uncomfortable. And it was in the Pike Road area of Formoy. And those skip bags, as far as I know, you get the skip bag from a company and then you fill it up. And when it's filled, you then contact the company and they come back and collect it. Isn't that how the skip bags work? And I'm assuming you don't pay then, is it, until it actually gets uh, collected. Anyone calling door to door like that, I straight away would be questioning who are these people? 
what are they going to do with the skip bag we saw what happened up in Ballyvillan when they cleared away Ellis's yard that big site and I know I have a piece I might get to it uh, later on uh, today where they're talking about prosecuting people because they found I think it's five clear addresses have been identified out of the clean up in Ellis yard but one of the questions and one of the one of the issues that's come out from that is people who are in reasonably good faith paying somebody to take their rubbish away believing that the rubbish is going to be disposed of properly but if a guy knocks at your door like that offering to take your rubbish away you have no way of knowing where that rubbish is going to end up is he going to illegally dump it so you do have to be very careful and I certainly wouldn't be handing rubbish over to anyone who calls and I don't know who they are and they have no certificate to say that they are registered to collect rubbish or that they have permits so that's so keep a lookout for that guy Pike Road area of Fomoy it's possible that he'll do the he will do the rounds he could be anywhere across North Cork West Cork he could be in the city but just be suspicious of anyone calling to your door offering to take your rubbish away because uh, I, I would question what they're doing with it. 1850 By the way, the phone lines have been quite busy uh, today. So remember, if you're having difficulty getting through, and I know how frustrating it is when you can't get through on the phones, then you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And you can also text a call back so when the lines go a little bit quieter, John Paul will be able to give you a call. C103 Jobs. We've got a plasterer required for the Mallow area and that job does come with an immediate start. While Cronin Electrical, they're looking for apprenticed and qualified electrician. A West Cork company is looking for a lorry driver. Crane experience, please, and you need to have a current safe pass. And a part-time beauty therapist is required for a, sa- a salon in Dunmanway. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Look over some of your comments that are coming in. Mary says, this is due with people criticising some of the words that when I mispronounce things and I'll be the first one to say mea culpa, I do get words wrong. And if I speak too quickly, I have a tendency then to really get words wrong. Anyway, Mary says, Patricia, this is not a criticism, but just a question for your English listeners and in particular the one who commented to you on a word that you were pronouncing wrong. Why do most English people that I've heard speak put ink onto words like something, etc.? It's been a fascination of, of mine for some time. I'm just curious. I'm not critical, says Mary. I'm just curious. I, I think, is that more London and Essex? than other parts of England, something. And you're right, it is. I, I don't know if it's right throughout the whole of uh, England because they've got completely different dialects in different parts of the country. Anyway, if there's any English person listening who would like to explain to our Mary, who's just curious and she's not criticising the way you speak, just wants to know why you put an ink on the end of some of your words. We certainly would be interested in, in finding out if you can explain that one uh, to us. Actually, somebody else had a very funny one on the on the pronunciation Mary says here's a laugh for you Patricia I'm just doing infection prevention and control at the moment and I'm doing assessments around microorganisms try saying that in a hurry you end up saying (laughs) microorgasm okay get your organisms right Mary Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> you could find yourself in a rather embarrassing uh, situation. Okay, 1850 uh, John Paul, taking your calls. If you want to text or WhatsApp, you can to 086 103 Now, hundreds of people rallied in Cork City this week demanding radical action to addressing the housing crisis, which was described as the single greatest problem facing our society today by one of the speakers at that rally. Could the credit union be a part of the solution? According to Fianna Fáil, yes. And joining me with their proposal, Fianna Fáil leader, Deputy Micheál Martin. Uh, good morning to you, Micheál. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. And before we speak about the credit unions, I, I, I can't let the moment pass without talking to you and getting your views on what's going on in the House of Commons and what's going on in Westminster. The tariffs yesterday, uh, when they were announced, the tariffs on Irish exports, yeah. you described it as it could lead to an Armageddon in Irish farming. Are you that concerned? Absolutely. And, well, I've, I've always been concerned about the prospect of a no-deal Brexit and I've been warning of it for about two years. Um, and in particular, you know, going through County Cork, Northwest Cork, and, you know, with Michael Moynan and Andrew Swinen, for example, joined various fodder crises and so on, and understanding how the beef crisis uh, is there already before any uh, tariffs and before any no-deal Brexit, it would have the impact of wiping out um, or suckler farmers and, and farming and then damaging the beef industry, in particular dairy, poultry. Um, and the rural economy depends a lot on the income generated uh, from farming activities. And there's no doubt in my mind that the imposition of tariffs resulting from a no-deal Brexit would be devastating for the agri-food industry and for rural Ireland in particular, along with small to medium-sized companies who export cheddar, for example, to uh, the UK. So that is why my focus has always been on avoiding a no-deal. And um, I, 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 obviously the, the die is not yet cast. Mm. Because I was listening to farmers yesterday from Britain on the BBC, you know, who were equally appalled at the prospect of a, a tariff regime coming in after a no-deal Brexit, because it would mean that their exports to the EU market would be more or less finished as well, because the EU would reciprocate with, with tariffs on, on, on their goods and services coming across. So... Uh, I think there's a dawning realisation in UK, and the vote last night showed that, that um, the, the, the centre ground of British political opinion and general public, particularly those in industry, uh, realised that a no deal would be devastating for the UK economy. So uh, all is not lost, and I think uh, there will be uh, significant focusing of the mind now within the United Kingdom. Uh, and the Parliament in particular in terms of what happens next and I think there probably will be another vote next week. Uh, but also just on the tariffs, this this idea of that the exception to the rule would be goods travelling from south of Ireland to the north, that, that can't happen, can it? No, I think that was a political move by the UK government saying, look, we've been saying all along that there's going to be no hard border. Here is evidence of our bona fides in that regard. So notwithstanding the tariff regime, um, there'll be no um, tariff regime in terms of goods going from from the, from the Republic into the North, and, and of course, then knowing they know full well, of course, that, that that has implications for the EU single market and customs union, and indeed for the Republic. Uh, and so, I think that there's a bit of game playing playing going on there. Um, it's not sustainable. It's not tenable in the long term. And uh, World Trade Organization rules. Surely, it's a breach of them. Um, I would have thought so. Um, and also, it's you know, it contradicts everything that has been set up to know at, at one level where Britain is saying they didn't want the North treated differently. Um, I've always been of the view that, that the North could get the best of both worlds out of Brexit if there was a proper 
sensible agreement whereby they'd have access, continuing access to the British market and to the European single market. Um, but I think the, 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 I don't think that's a tenable or sustainable um, uh, proposition. Uh, and I think deep down they know that, but they're saying over to you, Europe. And that's the, I think, the sense of that announcement yesterday. Um, but, but I think what's critical, though, is, and what worries me is there is no real preparations for a no deal Brexit. I think, notwithstanding what everybody says, it is a type of economic Armageddon if it happens. It won't happen. You know, it'll be trip trip. But essentially, WTO tariffs do come into play. Um, there will be temporary solutions for nine months to a year, and there'll be more haggling, more discussions. Uh, between Europe and UK and Ireland, and it's a very, very bad space to end up in uh, for a whole lot of Yeah, and it, it is really the case that nobody really knows what a Brexit looks like, because it's never happened before. Correct. Um, and, and remember, it undermines, Brexit really changes a fundamental economic model that Ireland has engaged in for 50-odd years. Britain and Ireland joined the European Union together. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, prior to we joined the European Union together, we were tied in terms of economic relationships, exports. You know, the old phrase when Britain sneezed, Ireland caught a cold. cold yeah. um, and no, we, we, we diversified due to our European me- membership from 73 onwards, and we became stronger in technology, stronger in life sciences, uh, and have stronger exports to the European continent. Um, but nonetheless, we still have, uh, you know, um, 50% of all our uh, you know, agricultural exports still end up in Britain. Uh, a lot of our SMEs, for example, startup companies, medium-sized companies, when you talk to them, they say, look, we're still exporting about 50% of our output to Britain. We're not going to change that overnight in terms of the French market or the German market. Uh, and so when all is said and done, um, Britain is an extremely important market for Irish business and Irish companies. So it seems to me that um, we have to be mindful of that. Uh, now, I think, I'm hoping that last night's votes represents the centre ground of of British politics asserting itself. I think the two leaderships in the party, you know, the Prime Minister, notwithstanding the difficult task she had, was determined to keep the Tories united 
she didn't want to lose any hardline Brexiteers. of tears. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn saw it as an opportunity to undermine the Tories, create chaos. Uh, so they haven't been forthcoming in working together to do to do something in the best interest of the UK people. That's my mm. genuine view. I think in Ireland, it's much different. I think we put Ireland first. Uh, you know, the confidence by the extension of it. I took a lot of criticism from different parties, but could you imagine now if we were in the middle of a general election in Ireland with all of this going on in, in Westminster? I think it would have been entirely irresponsible if I hadn't taken that decision in December. Uh, to extend the confidence and supply and avoid a general election. In and the and, of and ha- has it been tough at times? It has. I mean, and, you know, it took a lot of heat. Um, obviously, other political parties uh, and so on have been attacking us as a result of it. But obviously, people were concerned in terms of uh, our own party and that. But I think a lot of people, to be fair, got it and a lot of people understood it. Um, but um, Your own grassroots supporters included? Yeah, I think at the Ardish, um, they, they certainly showed it. Um, although, look, I'm not going to Obviously, there's a lot of disquiet, you know, in terms of particularly when the children's hospital scandal broke up and the uh, the issues around that. People are really angry, not just Fianna Fáil members, but people across the country were angry and they're saying, well, uh, you're facilitating the continuation of that. But I think we had to look at the, the big picture in terms of the country and um, in terms of livelihoods. You see, Brexit is about livelihoods. It's about jobs, it's about people's incomes. And you can't play politics with that. Mm. And I think that's the big difference between yeah. Ireland and, and the UK in that respect. Yeah, I can see a number of people saying, uh, well done, it can't be easy to have stayed in propping up the uh, government, but it is the right move. OK, let me get back to the issue that we did invite you on the programme about, and this is to do with the um, uh, credit unions. Um, as, as it stands, just explain how much credit unions can can go when it comes to issuing mortgages? Well, they're, they're, it's very limited. It's very restrictive. Um, and I think that's, um, you know, we believe, what we know is that they have huge, they have very significant reserves, credit unions. Uh, and it's money that's, to a certain extent, lying idle. We're talking about quite a number of billion euro here that's lying idle uh, on deposit. And whereas we've been saying consistently that that funding should be used in a number of ways uh, to uh, fund in the first instance, housing projects, and also then that they're, 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 the framework governing the issuing of loans for mortgages should be reviewed. I mean, in Northern Ireland, credit unions up to the crash had been funding uh, mortgages for quite a long time, particularly in terms of people buying, for example, their council houses and so on. Um, they would have got their loans from their, their credit unions in the north. Uh, obviously, the crash brought in stricter uh, regulation, both London governing the North in terms of the, the, the central bank there and the central bank here. But uh, we, we've asked, for example, two levels here. First strand, uh, a special purpose vehicle should be established to channel some of that money into investing in house projects in terms of the building of estates and so on like that. Uh, because a lot of the problems with housing is the financial viability. So builders and so on are finding it very hard to get credit at reasonable rates. Uh, the cost of borrowings are very high now. And so the viability of construction is, at, is an issue. Uh, and I met with the CIF in Cork recently, and they're making this point to me, that the high interest rates and, and the a lot of money is coming from financial houses, not necessarily from banks. So the whole financial model has changed dramatically. So credit unions, we believe, in terms of the reserves they have, some of that, those reserves could go towards um, a fund that would help the construction of projects. Secondly, okay, because in I, terms I, of individual... Sorry, yeah. Yeah, at the moment, the current rules means that the credit union can only issue 10% of an individual loan book. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're saying, 
but, but it's not even that, 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 that's the first time would be actually to create a vehicle I mean they have lots of money on deposit yeah. that isn't being used but that could be used to fund projects and they would get return on those projects obviously and they would charge um, and they would get a return on their investment so it's a, it's a win-win then, for everybody yes and yeah. we, we it's in the confidence and supply we've been pushing it and pushing it with the government for quite some time and then we believe if you look at, 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 at an individual level in terms of the issuing of mortgages, if you look at the government's rebuilding Ireland loan fund, which ran out of money there two weeks ago, mm. and we've been monitoring that, and we've all had cases coming into our constituencies where um, it's, it's a torturous um, process. Um, and I think only about 1,500 have issued nationally. But these are people who are above the income threshold for local authority housing, but who are not necessarily on huge incomes. But this is a low, uh, an affordable loan scheme. Um, and many people, you know, are paying rent now. They could get mortgages that would be cheaper than the rent uh, and less expensive than rent, uh, and they're not being facilitated. Um, and uh, in our view, the, the credit union could have a role there as well. I'd understand so it. I, I can never I'd understand. understand. It to be, you know, but 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 why? What what are the arguments against letting credit unions get well, involved in mortgages? Well, I, I prefer those who are arguing against it to put it forward. They believe that they could render, if, if it was excessive, it could render them unviable or undermine their, 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 their financial um, uh, strength and, and, and credibility. That said, I always remind people that it's the banking industry that collapsed, not the credit union point. that collapsed the country. And I think uh, that doesn't mean all credit unions are, you know, um, how to put it, uh, strongly. There'll always be independent credit unions that might be in difficulty from time to time. But to be fair to the credit union movement, their own mutual funds are underpinned and bailed out quite some, some of them, not too many. Uh, there was one in Kildare, I think. And so they're, they're, the degree to which the credit union uh, used the taxpayer in, in terms of the time of the crash was minimal compared to what happened, obviously, with the banks. And I just think there's a view in official Ireland that frowns upon credit unions and frowns upon the credit union movement uh, and um, has, you know, meanwhile then doesn't seem to have the same attitude uh, to the banking sector, although it has to be said that the central bank's new rules you know, and the banks are recovering. That's important to the economy. I'm not against, obviously, the banks. We have to have a healthy, viable banking system. But I do think competition uh, at, in certain segments of the market would be advantageous. And the credit union movement has stood the test of time. Uh, I know in my own house when I grew up in Turner's Cross, uh, it was the credit union we went to for a house extension um, and so on. Uh, my mother had a great faith and belief in it. Uh, and that's the kind of community I sprang out of. And um, I've always been a bit... Uh, annoyed at the kind of um, uh, patronising view um, in Department of Finance and other locations nationally about a community movement that was founded by John Hume in, in the North, and, and that really did an awful lot for working people. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, and, 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 I just, and, get, and I just get annoyed about it. When, and when, do, you, do you worry about, I mean, we have a generation of people who will never be able, may never be able to buy their, their, their own home unless we start to do something differently I'm in this country. Correct. I'm, I'm very angry about it. I'm very annoyed about that. And there was a report, a survey done by the Department of Housing last week in conjunction with somebody else saying, oh, we should warn people about buying houses and the perils of it and the excessive impact on their wages and so on. Everybody was writing that report uh, and advising young people to go to the European model and start renting. Uh, every one of them has a house, you know. Yeah, uh, and I just got a bit, I think home ownership matters in Ireland. Yeah, I think yeah. It, it is. It's, it's in our DNA. 
It is in our DNA, but it's yeah. also very much linked to our community values because yeah. if you have a stake in the community, if you belong to a community, you're involved in the sporting clubs, you're involved in the meals and wheels in the community area. And one of the great strengths of Ireland is community values mm. uh, and the sense that we're a, a broader community and we're not all just individuals pursuing our own individual agendas. And I think the housing model in Ireland has been a contributing factor to that. We're not an anonymous society and we never have been where people hardly look. I mean, I was talking to the Portuguese ambassador the other day and he said what he loved about Ireland when he came and it said similar to some of the Portuguese the welcome but also the sense of engagement and the sense of community and he thought it was quite distinct across Europe and other locations that he'd been in and I think home ownership is a part of that and I think it is sad that younger generation have been told your prospects of buying a home are very remote. Nowadays you have to be the average age at which a young couple buy a house or young people is 35. That's just too, too 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 long to wait, and I think that's why we pushed in the budget for an affordable housing scheme, where the government would subsidise in state-owned lands the construction of housing to enable houses to be affordable to uh, people on on, on modest wages. Okay. Uh, now we're hoping to build six thousand out of that scheme over the next three years, but that's only a start, and we'd we'd love to do much more. And the other problem I have, I think, is the state has turned its back on building housing, and the local authorities have to, in any meaningful way. You know, I don't. Your listeners may not know. Like, I come from a place in Turner's Cross, Ballyfehan, one of the finest housing estates complexes ever built by the state is is, is that whole area of Ballyfehan from Pollardoff right into Turner's Cross. Uh, we did that in the fifties um, and earlier when when, when, when we, we were have, a we much poorer country and yeah. fine quality housing, yeah. fine communities back grew to up that. out of it. And we're in an emergency. And the, pop, the the value of that is it takes the pressure off the private market. It frees up more houses for people to buy who are in a position to buy and you get greater supply but at the moment everybody's chasing the private the few houses we have in the private market through half the housing assistance program to local authorities buying houses and competing with young couples uh, who want to buy the same house uh, and through the lack of supply um, in terms of the building of, of, of housing Okay. All right. We leave it there, uh, Miho. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Uh, good morning thanks. to you. Bye bye, uh, Deputy Miho Martin. And, and a number of people saying, yeah, bring on the credit union. Loved, I would love to take out a mortgage with the credit union, says uh, one uh, listener. And what's really the, you know, the, the couples in particular that Miho is talking about, the ones that are caught in the middle, they earn too much to entitle them to a social house, but then they don't earn enough to qualify for a mortgage say on a high street bank and they are paying huge amount on rent every month and the if they did get a mortgage what they're paying on rent would actually be less than what the mortgage repayment would be. I mean they are the ideal people for the credit union if they could allow the credit union to start giving out more mortgages at the moment 10% of the individual loan book um, they can't go any higher than that for long term lending and obviously long term lending uh, would be a mortgage so they have given some mortgages out but it's a small number the central bank needs to allow them uh, to give out more but somebody says is that what put credit unions in trouble in the first place uh, says uh, John he would worry about allowing the credit unions to get involved in more mortgages I mean I'm not saying that they could just open the doors and let everybody uh, in. There would have to be strict rules and regulations but there's money there. They have a pot of money there and it's sitting there doing nothing. This could be a win-win all round. This is the Court Today replay on C103.
Let's go to Skullgarda Station where I'm joined by uh, Sergeant James O'Donovan for this week's uh, Garda File. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome to the programme. OK, Thanks you want much. to uh, start with, uh, firstly, some crime in the McCroom area. That's correct, Patricia. We've had a number of burglaries there in the McCroom district over the last number of weeks and we're just looking for assistance from the public. I suppose the first one that we're going to touch on happened in the, the Nakanau West Kiskeem area on the Saturday, the 2nd of March last. This would have been, uh, I suppose, a very small window where the owner of the house left the house and in the space of an hour, the house was broken into. We're looking for any information in relation to any suspicious activity, be it people hanging around that area or a suspicious car, and for people to contact the Gardaí in either Mill Street or McCroom with any information. Okay. I suppose moving on then, on the same day, we had another burglary in the Boerbui area. Again, um, unfortunately, the house had been broken into at the rear of the house. And again, we're looking for any information that the locals might have had in relation to suspicious activity in the Boerbui area at about between four o'clock and eight o'clock that evening um, to contact the Gardaí in Mill Street and McCroom. Moving on then to Kilmichael on the Sunday, between Sunday the 3rd of March and on Tuesday, yesterday the 13th of March, we're looking for any information in relation to suspicious activity around the Cool Derry area of Kilmichael. Um, I suppose this wasn't exactly a house, it was a shed that was broken into and there was some equipment taken from the shed. Again, we're asking for the public who have been very good to us in relation to reporting suspicious activity or strangers that might have been in the area during that period of time. Again, Sunday the 3rd of March and yesterday the 13th of March. Um, I suppose moving on to Bandon then on the Monday the 4th of March in Barrett's Hill area of Bandon where again we're appealing to the general public for any assistance in relation to suspicious activity that they might have seen in person or move around the back of a, a particular house here. Um, and again, a number of tools and items were taken and we're asking for people to contact Bandagarda station there on 023-885-2200 in relation to any information they might have. I suppose moving back then to the McCroom district on Tuesday the 5th of March, again, another burglary took place here. This was between half one and half six on the 5th of March, as I said. We're looking for, again, the public to assist us. I suppose we reiterate this all the time, that people just might have copped a strange car or a strange-looking person in the shop maybe nearby, and they wouldn't have tweaked it. And if they do have the registration number of any suspicious car to contact the Gardaí again in Mill Street or McCroom. Yeah, it's always handy if you're suspicious of somebody to take down the registration. It was like somebody contacted us who were a bit suspicious uh, yesterday evening about somebody calling around offering to collect skip bags um, and, and now they ran them from the door. But uh, try and get the details of the vehicle they're in. Yes. Isn't that always the best thing to do? It, it, yeah. it is, of course, great assistance to us. And they mightn't think it at the time that it mightn't be suspicious, but we can carry out um, uh, inquiries in relation to that. And if there is nothing to, untoward about that car, we can contact that person back and say, look, this was a legitimate caller to a house. But again, we are very grateful to all the assistance that we get from the general public. And of course, the number of the car would be very helpful. And we all have cameras on our phones. It's very, you know, it's very quick to take out your camera and take a photograph of a car registration number. It is indeed. Yeah. And I suppose on that note, we don't want to be putting people in danger of maybe upsetting anyone's suspicions that they might turn on them then, I suppose. But yeah, no, if you can do it discreetly. Do it discreetly. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. 
absolutely. And take absolutely. a note of it and then ring and write it down as soon as you can and contact the Gardaí. Okay. Uh, now, property in cars? Yes. Uh, look, I suppose we've had a number of incidents of this nature over the last couple of weeks in West Cork. Um, I suppose what we're touching on this is coming up to the bank holiday weekend, we'll have a number of people returning home for the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. And we're just asking people to be mindful that not to leave any valuable property in their cars visible, if at all possible, take them away out of the car and lock the car. Um, a number, two weeks ago, we had an, an incident here in Goline where there were suspicious people seen acting uh, in the area of the churchyard in Goline during mass time. And thankfully, the information was received here and we were able to intercept those. So we're asking people to bear in mind that if they see any suspicious activity around car parks, um, I suppose visitor spots there along the coast for the Atlantic, the Wild Atlantic Way. Yeah. If they see anyone acting suspicious around cars, contact the local Garda station or even the Garda confidential line or the 9999 and we'll get Garda out straight away. Okay, a brief mention of the firearms certificate renewal form. Yes, I just just a timely remi- reminder there to all people holding firearms certificates that their renewals are now coming out to them at this time of the year. Um, they're they get them generally three months before it expires. They don't have to wait till the last minute. Get the renewal form sorted, bring them into the garage station and we'll um, uh, put them into the process straight away. OK, and we are heading into a bank holiday uh, weekend. It's going to be a busy weekend, a lot of traffic on the road. Yes. And we're already running ads from the Road Safety Authority for about the West Cork rally and, you know, heeding Stuart's warnings and etc. It's going to be a busy weekend. Yes, look, traditionally, I suppose the St. Patrick's weekend being the first bank holiday weekend of the, of the year is traditionally very busy. Tied in with the West Cork rally as part of the British Rally Championship this year, we're expecting a very high volume of traffic to be entering the Clannacilty and West Cork area in general. I suppose just from a road safety point of view, we're asking people to plan their journeys in advance of coming into that area because there will be diversions and for their own safety and for the safety of the spectators at these events, we're asking people to adhere to the directions of the marshals and the Gardaí that will be putting diversions into place. And even throughout the West Cork Division and, and throughout the county, there will be various St. Patrick's Day parades going on on Sunday um, there will be diversions in place. A lot of these parades will have them advertised locally, but if you are travelling across the county, just bear in mind to plan your journey in advance and be aware that there will be delays and slight diversions in in some of the major towns in West Cork. Actually, that's a good point because I think most people will know when their own local parade is on, but if you're actually travelling it could add a lot of extra time it, to it your could, journey if you keep hitting parades in different towns. It, it could indeed. Yeah. Even if you're leaving the county and going further afield. Yeah. Do you know, in particular McCroom now, I have a note here to remind people that there is diversions in McCroom between 3.15pm and 5pm. And if you're caught in those diversions, it can it, you might miss appointments either on yeah. Sunday visiting or whatever. We're just asking people to plan their journeys in advance and to slow down for the weekend that's in it. Okay, uh, good words of advice. Listen, have a great St. Patrick's weekend yourself, James. And thank you. Thank you for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Sergeant James O'Donovan for this week's uh, Guard the File from Skull Guard the Station. 1850-333-103. We are looking for your pet questions, please, uh, because Jane Pickett... Our resident vet will be joining us in the next hour if there's something wrong. When the animals in your household uh, get your questions uh, in and we'll catch up with uh, some of your calls and comments. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A number of people commenting on my chat with 
the Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Leader of the Fianna Fáil Party, Micheál Martin, and his, particularly on his views on the credit union, where he said, you know, he's saying that the credit union needs to be looked at as one of the possible solutions to our housing crisis and could they be issuing and giving out more mortgages to people. John Amalo says, uh, because we, it's widely known that m- the majority of credit unions have a pot of money that they'd love to be able to lend out and a win-win because obviously if they're lending out they'll be getting interest back in so it's you know they'll be making money for their local uh, credit union John Amalas says what about someone that has savings in the credit union and they're not paying interest why can't the credit union give their savers say 2% or give some kind of interest on their saving savings if they have that much money well the money they have belongs is the savings of the lender of the savings of the members and they're saying that money is sitting there they'd love to do something with it so that it could generate income and by generating income I assume they would be able to pass it on uh, to their members so again it would be a win-win all round Joe and Formoy wonders can Micheál Martin and the rest of the Fianna Fáil party who are putting forward this plan can they assure, assure the members of the credit union that their money will be safe that's what Joe would worry about while Donald Abandon says how much money will the overspend in the children's hospital in Dublin how many houses would that have built listening to me Hall Mar- Martin why are they staying and propping up the Fine Gael government even though I, d- I do think he addressed that particular issue saying with what's going on in Brexit all the more reason for us to have some kind of stability in this uh, country. Staying on housing, Patricia, my thoughts on the housing issue very simple either the purchase price is affordable or the rental payment is affordable. We all love a business which guarantees a win both way ways. Somebody else says, yes, Micheál Martin, uh, in what he was saying on your programme today, is very practical. He seems to understand the struggles of uh, people. Some of your WhatsApps in. Hi, Patricia, I just got the end of your discussion with Micheál Martin about the credit unions doing mortgages. And while I think that's fine and a great idea, my daughter and a partner, a partner, are one of those couples who can't save the deposit. Why? Because the rent they are paying is so high. How will they ever be able to afford a mortgage if they can't get a deposit? Yeah, I mean, that's that exact squeezed, really squeezed middle that are there. The people obviously both working, both this lady's daughter and her partner, here's a young couple both working, their income will be too high to allow them to put their name down for a council house if and when council houses become available or to get a social house just earning too much and yet not earning enough that they can continue to pay mortgage and pay a deposit and be able to get a deposit for a mortgage at the same time. I mean that really has to be looked at the amount that people are paying on rent and that needs to be put forward as showing that somebody has the capability to pay back a mortgage but can't possibly save for a deposit at the same time. It's really, we just have to completely look at the model and the way we do it at the moment because they that's exactly that couple who along with a lot of other people, there's talks already of a whole generation of young people never owning their own house because they're caught in that very same uh, dilemma. And a texter, no name on this. Why, do, why does he think, what does he think about the Irish, this is Michael Martin, what does Michael Martin think about the Irish people why did he not think about the Irish people when he and his party sold us out to the EU paying a debt that we will a debt that we will be paying for the next 50 years don't forget the UK were the first to come to our aid when we went 
bust. There's a WhatsApp or to 0862103103. Okay, a couple of questions in for Jane. Keep those coming. Um, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us this hour. If you have a question, get them into us, please. And here's somebody from Hi Patricia. I lived in London for over 40 years and the ink used in endings derives originally from South London but now it's also used in East London. This was Mary wasn't being critical of English people but she was just wondering why they put ink you know something where does the ink come from and I was saying I thought it was more London than anywhere else because I've got a brother at the moment who's living in Devon and even Devon Cornwall there's some wonderful accents I could listen to them all day long I actually think they're amusing the accents are so wonderful but that ink on the end yeah it seems more of a where there's somebody saying it it is London but it's also in particular the East End of London I mean, if you watch EastEnders I think you'll, you'll certainly agree uh, with that statement Okay on drink and the amount we drink and the interview that we carried earlier on with our the whole culture in this country and our relationship with drink and everything revolving around drink. If we're sad, we drink. If we're angry, we drink. If we're happy, we drink. If we want to relax, we drink. We drink. You know, it's just everything seems to revolve around uh, drink and evidence showing two reports out this week clearly showing that our relationship with drink is not waning. We're falling more in love with it and the younger generation in particular are even falling more in love with it than the older generation were. Don says, I feel that shots which seems to be quite popular at the moment, should be totally banned. Uh, 50 years ago or so, we all went to ballrooms where no drink was served. Yeah, what was the, the ballroom of romance. If you ever watched that on the TV, it was a tea and a custard cream at half time, wasn't it? They just didn't serve drink. Don says, the choice you had at the time, you either went to the ballrooms to go dancing or you went to the pub to go drinking. You couldn't mix the two. Don also makes the point that the previous generations didn't have the money. And that's another part of the problem today. Younger people have more money than previous generations. And Ewan McKinney, who I spoke with with Alcohol Action Ireland, would tie in that the drink is getting cheaper. And that's why we need minimum pricing and the offers the drink specials and there'll be loads of specials on for this weekend for St. Patrick's Day and that's just encouraging people to binge and to drink all the more. So yeah, cost, absolutely cost is involved and the price of drink is is very much even though some people say that our, our drink is too expensive but others would say no. If you want to get your hands on cheap drink it certainly is out there. Mary in Butterford done drinking says why are we allowing some pubs to open at half seven or eight o'clock in the morning? It's happening in most county towns and in cities. Why are they allowed to have an early licence? Why are they opening at 7.30 in the morning? Surely it's only very vulnerable people and people with drink issues that are going into the early houses. Uh, Yeah, you wonder really do early houses need to be looked at? Now there probably isn't as many early houses today as there once was. But Mary is right, there are still early houses houses. Uh, I, I, do most towns have one? Is she, is she right in saying that? And there's certainly a lot of, early, not a lot of, but there are early houses that open in the city. Initially, early houses, when they were first introduced, it was for a very different era. They were, I know the last time we looked into it, we were told that they were there for shift workers, people who work at night 
and work kind of you know antisocial hours they'd have a pint and then they'd come and they'd, they'd, they'd go to bed one of the main reasons that early houses were first invented and a lot of them would be around ports and places like that was the days of the horsepower and the pony power and the good people who were bringing milk and vegetables all around the country and they would deliver them and they would have been travelling from probably you know in this very small hours of the mo- morning and they'd drop off their deliveries and then they'd go to the early house and then they'd head home and they'd get a few hours sleep and then their day would begin all over again but we're in a very different era now I mean I'm assuming there are probably still people who work night shift there's still you know night shift workers out there and people on antisocial shifts now I don't know do they do they want to go for a drink in the morning maybe they do but I think Mary is right that a number of people who will be attracted to these early houses and who would the thought of having a drink at 7.30 in the morning when you're just out of bed you can be very vulnerable people and people who have drink problems. I'm not saying that they are the only people who frequent early houses but I don't know how common they are. Is Mary right in saying that there is an early house in every single county town, say in Cork? 1850 at 3331033. Now here's the listener saying, hi Patricia, could you please find out from Country Clean, why are they coming into our estate at 5.30am? It's in Glamworth waking people up at this ungodly hour of the morning, having no respect for the residents. And when you contact them, they do not respond. And that is signed an exhausted resident who is in work until 6pm in the evening. So it's a long day and, and bin trucks by their nature you can't ask a bin lorry to come in and pick up your bins and do it quietly. I'm assuming it's to do with the route that they're using. They have to get the workers out at that hour of the morning. It does seem very early. I mean, we, I, the bin collection, and we have two or three bin collections, different collectors come into the estate where I live. And certainly there's none of them in at that hour of the morning. Most of them are in during the day. But I suppose the route has to start somewhere why Glamworth has been picked and why 5.30 it does seem particularly early is that is that new is that something that's only recently happened is it a one off Uh, do any other areas have bins collected that early that you're awake and if you are a light sleeper then you're awake and that's it. You're not going to be able to go back to sleep. I know when I was in Australia at Christmas, bin collections are very early in the morning, but that's more to do with the the heat of the day. And they are all done and dusted by about seven, eight o'clock in the morning. You know, they're out in the middle of the night, but that's understandable with the kind of weather that they are having to work in. But 5.30 does seem very early. If anybody else can let us know, are there any other areas where bins are being collected at that hour of the morning? 1850-333-103. You're talking about pronunciations today on the programme. Uh, Patricia, hi, on pronouncing certain words. Has anybody else noticed, if there's any dubs listening to us, that Dublin people, some Dublin people, don't say their T's? For example, if they want to say the word water, they don't use the T in the word water. They say water. Can I have a glass of water? Uh, is that Dublin? Can I have a glass of water? I'm not very good at accents. Uh, but that's a Dublin saying. Any Dubliners listening to us, do you want to explain why you can't pronounce the word T in the middle of water? You say water. 1850 John Paul taking your calls 
If you want to text our WhatsApp 0862103103 and we are looking for your pet questions please because uh, Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital uh, in Newmarket will be joining us in the studio this hour. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie A dementia awareness evening is going ahead in the North Ridge Education Centre in Maham. That's between seven and half past eight tonight. No need to book. Just turn up in person. Bohobui Parish Hall. They're hosting a fundraising fashion show uh, tonight, half past seven in the hall. Cheese and wine reception from seven. All funds going to the hall repair fund. Tickets in Boerby Post Office so you can get them on the door tonight. Kildallery Lotto draw for a jackpot of €1,000. That goes ahead in Walsh's bar tonight um, and the organisers would like to thank people for their continued support. Table quiz tonight in Cahill's bar in Rathmore. It's to raise funds for Schlieve Lukra Men's Shed. All are welcome. And Nakuraha Makra are hosting a table quiz tonight in the hut in Watergrass Hill. Half eight start. All are welcome. And the Glow Fun Run, due to be held in Skibbereen tomorrow Friday, has been deferred for another week to Friday the 22nd of March at 8.15. And Ballyhara Makra will have a Father Ted table quiz in Sheen's Bar in Kildallery tomorrow night at half past eight. Tables of four. €20 and it's made of Mallow Search and uh, Rescue. And a coffee morning for Cork Simon will be held in the cafe on the lane in Clonakilty on St Patrick's Day from 11.30am to 4.30pm. And I've been asked to mention that the annual Daffodil Day in the Bayview Kilcrohan is happening next Friday the 22nd of March and of course 22nd of March next Friday uh, tomorrow week is Daffodil Day and we'll certainly be telling you more about it next week but just a quick mention uh, of this day in Kilcrohan. It's on from 10am to 5pm tomorrow week with teas and coffees etc. All raising funds for Daffodil Day but the organisers are looking for donations of prizes and cake etc. They're going to have various raffles on the day. They'll do one for the Irish Cancer Society, one for Breast Cancer Ireland and they're also going to do one for the Children's Leukaemia Award at the Mercy Hospital in Cork. So if you can help out in any way, uh, please do. Now, I want to go to the phone lines where West Cork Councillor John O'Sullivan joins me. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And great, you, you bring with you good tidings today and good news on the Cork McSherry Tim League Sewerage Works. That's right. The, the contractors have been informed us this morning that as of three o'clock tomorrow evening the road, the road will be open. And the, uh, the That's on time, isn't it? On, on time and on schedule. <laughs> I, must, I must give them credit. They, they worked overtime the last number of weekends in order to make the, make the time. You know, I know it is a, a major upheaval, I suppose, for businesses and for people in Court Michelle and that, but it, it, it's a once-in-a-lifetime infrastructural input. But I, I must give credit to, to, to the contractors. They, they while they, they realised they discommoded people, they realised that they're, they're having an effect on the area. They did the work inside the time that they promised, and I think that, that has to be welcomed. And it's very welcome news for St. Patrick's weekend and for the rest of the, the summer now that the road from Court Michel to Tim League is open. How, so lo- how, long has it been, how long has it been ongoing? Well, it's, it closed uh, just after Christmas. Yeah, okay. You know, yeah. so it, it is good news. I mean, the village of Timaleague was discommoded because all the traffic had to be sent right through the middle of the village. Passing yeah. was, was restricted, was, was non existent actually. And uh, Court Michelle was, was cut off. So, you know, it, it is good news. That, that and I, I just want to commend the contractor for, for being true to his word. And I know he, he had to put up with a lot of. A lot of 
shall we say, um, correspondence in, in the number of weeks was closed, but at least they were true to their word and they, they took to, took action in time to make sure that they got, got it open in time and I just want to commend them for that. And yeah, because we were funny enough only this morning uh, talking with Bandon about the traffic delays and, and the, and it's, you know, as the local councillor Gillian Coughlin said, you know, it's, it's short-term pain for long-term gain. Yes. It's well, really hard when you're going it, through it, but when it's still are going through it, and it, 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 the, yeah. for, for rural towns and rural villages, business is is always under pressure, and to put this extra pressure on it, it we we all acknowledge and, and they acknowledge themselves that it's for the long term good, but it, it is very very hard on them while they're going through it, and you know we've got to acknowledge that, and we've got to acknowledge particularly in, in Cotmanshire where a significant proportion of the people that they, they commute to work, and they, there was a long distance for them, it was extra cost, extra time, you know, and it. That that has to be acknowledged and recognised, and I think at the end of the day, it is, they have to be commended for, for undertaking it and, and enduring it for the term that they did in order to get this piece of infrastructure done. You know. Okay, but the good news is yeah. from three o'clock tomorrow. That has just come up while I'm talking to you know, which 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 is a change is that the the nose of a road closure for Ring Road is now from the twenty second to the 31st of March, so there seems to be a, a reduction in the, in, in the duration of that, which I was talking to you last week, which would yeah. be good news again. Give us that again, they've, they've changed it to they've the... Changed, just, it's just come up, and I haven't spoken to anybody, it's just come up while I'm talking to you, that the, the Ring Road is now closing from the 22nd, which was the date which was closed, until the 31st of March to facilitate floodworks. So I'm taking that, that, that it will open on the 31st of March. So it'll is, be open for Easter? That's right. Oh, that's good news. That's, that's terrific news. Absolutely. It, 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 and it's just flashed up on the phone now in front of you as I'm talking to you. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I hope that, that, you know... Isn't technology great? Absolutely. But, you know, the, the Ring Road have endured eight months, eight months. They eight have. Months bit, you know, it was eight weeks in Cotmichelle and in fairness, it was an endurance. Ring has been cut off. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I do welcome that definitely because it, it, they, they have, they've suffered their own share and the people there have suffered their share. So at, at least maybe, maybe <laughs> agitating on their behalf, it might, it might have worked to bring it to shorten it a bit at some stage. So that's good news as well. Okay. You know? All right. We'll leave it there, John. Right, thank you for that. Thanks very much. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us, West Cork Councillor John O'Sullivan. And actually, this Councillor Paul Hayes was on as well saying, Patricia, would you let listeners know that that road to intimidate Court Michelle will reopen tomorrow at uh, three, just in time for a busy St. Patrick's uh, weekend and the contractors have to be commended really I mean on time and on schedule so well done and uh, let everybody uh, in the West Cork area enjoy the St. Patrick's uh, weekend. Somebody must know is there's St. Patrick's Day Parade in Charleville. Now I don't have the list in front of me and John Paul is flat out on the phones so I can't get through to him. I will get that double check. As far as I know there is we have a long lengthy list of parades. I haven't been going through them all because it's just tedious to go through them all. I mean certainly over the weekend and uh, on St. Patrick's Day itself, whoever is on the various programmes, we always remind everyone because we try to encourage people. A lot of work goes into organising St. Patrick's Day parades and we do want people to get out and support them. If there's an organiser of the Charleville St. Patrick's Day parade listening, can you text me and uh, I'll have the details flash up in front of me so I'll be able to pass it on. 1850 333103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 on the drinking debate listening to your drink debate regarding alcohol this morning on the show says Kevin from Carrigaline. Bars offer more than alcohol. It's a community meeting place. The government are determined to replace bars with coffee shops and cafes etc. What about our culture of eating unhealthy food? 
high fat foods, too much salt, chemical content. Why aren't they working on that, says Kevin in Carrigaline. Well, I suppose they say that they they would say they are. They're constantly on about obesity and trying to reduce our obesity uh, levels. So, I mean, I don't know how you compare one with the other. Drinking too much is bad for you and eating the wrong foods is too bad for you. And is there anything left in the world that we can do? That isn't bad for us. Now, a couple of people on about Hall Martin, listening to Hall Martin and his words of wisdom. It's sickening, says a texter. And even more sickening, listening to Bertie O'Hearn giving his pearls of wisdom on Brexit. Bertie O'Hearn, after causing Armageddon in this country, should lock himself away in shame. We are slaves to the EU for the rest of our lives. And no matter what they ask of us now, we are without choice. Shame on each and every one of them, says a texter. And Mary says, it's amazing how Michal Martin has such a short memory. Read the banks. Where was he when the country was going under? And that was because money was squandered and there was uh, corruption. So says uh, Mary. And a couple of WhatsApps in on this. I think it's this is on housing. Audrey says, I think it's very hard for people that have the income to high for social housing, but can't get a mortgage because the banks don't take into account what they're paying for rents. So they'll never be able to own their own home, says uh, Audrey. And there is an entire generation of young people falling into that category and it really, really is uh, shameful. Yeah, and actually to even hear the discussion, you know, saying to young people, well, you you know, why not do what they do in other European countries, in other European countries? I mean, the Scandinavian countries typically are countries that don't have a high home ownership. It's sort of in their DNA to rent. That's the way they've always done things. Whereas in this country, it's very different. We like to own our own house. We like to close the front door and know that that house is our home. And it's the way we were raised. We were raised in houses where the house was ours. Even if it was a council house initially, people then went on to buy it. Even if people lived in council houses and they still paid rent, but they still, it was their home. And once they paid the rent, they were never going to be evicted. They were never going to be kicked out of it. Whereas now people are renting and they've no security with the rent. While deep down they want to own their own house. They want to have their name on the deeds of a house to say this is my house even if it comes with a huge mortgage they want to, and they want to do their best to pay it back so that one day the house uh, is theirs and to hear it being said to young to, to you know to people in their 20s and even into their 30s now to say I oh, will go with the European model and rent for the rest of, of your lives it's, it's, it is really really sad and there are so many people falling into that category they will be well able to afford to repay the mortgage but they're caught Catch-22 situation. They can't get the deposit together because of the amount that they're paying on rent. Hence the reason why we have so many people going back and living with mammy and daddy. How many people are doing that trying to save a deposit at the same time in order to be able to get a mortgage? And we were talking, the reason that this all came up for conversation was to do with the a proposal from Fianna Fáil that we look to the credit unions and the credit unions should be able to and would be able to step up and offer more people mortgages if the central bank looked at their lending rules and gave them a little bit more wriggle room because they have the money and are bursting to loan it out to people. And they they are, they do give mortgages, small amount of mortgages. They're not allowed to give up more than 10% of their loan book to long-term loans. And a mortgage obviously is deemed a long-term uh, loan. Texture says, I got... a my loan 
from my credit union to buy my house. It's a cottage with land. It's nearly eight years ago. I've it paid off already. So I now own my own house. I would recommend the credit union to uh, anyone. Well, isn't that uh, terrific? Now, obviously, it was a small loan. But still, if they if that person had gone and borrowed it from a bank, would they have it paid off? Would they now be sitting there? Would they paid off? Would the would the bank have even have entertained it is another would they have looked at that as a mortgage because it obviously was a very small mortgage so well done so there's somebody very much batting and coming out very strongly on behalf of um, the credit unions This is the Court Today replay on C103 And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group joining us in studio Good afternoon to you Hi there Um, You survived all the kind of windy weather and all of that Oh we did you know it's so changeable at the moment you can't predict you don't know whether to take your umbrella out or not And then with the the wind going the umbrella wouldn't have lasted long I know you know I was walking to the carrier this morning and my umbrella broke it was hilarious I was carrying a load of things in my hands and then it all snapped in two See I feel sorry (laughs) for the big farm animals when I'm looking at them out in the fields and it's windy Yeah Are they really affected by the weather? You know they are incredibly hardy in their own way but what I would say is that the farmers are very good at judging the weather I think it's one of those things they kind of get a sixth sense for what's going to happen so I think they're kind of better than the weather channel in a way um, yeah. I always pay a load of attention to what they're saying in the week before because they're out in it in all weathers I think they begin to learn to read it really really well so I think certainly they're very good at knowing when to keep their stock in when to let them out um, but sometimes the weather surprises us and yeah. there's no accounting for that but no you'll see them huddled under a hedge or something exactly like you know, and things, that, that's the thing trying to find shelter I think it's really important as well like when the weather is quite wild and 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 windy at the moment to kind of think think of our dog and cat friends as well um and just making sure they're comfortable inside and have somewhere to retreat to as it were and particularly if there's let's say any kind of feral cats around or any cats that might be fed in the neighborhood making sure they have somewhere kind of yeah. warm and not so cats, windy to cats retreat are to. great to find a they do they find any kind of nook or cranny to yeah. squeeze themselves into their, they, they are, have a great survival instinct be, be, better I imagine than dogs <laughs> they tend to be they are yeah. a little bit more kind of streetwise about those kind of things but um yeah do- dogs certainly need to have um somewhere warm and cosy to yeah. go to and they may need a little bit more guidance in reaching it. Okay, f- uh, straight on to your questions. Uh, hi, could you please ask Jane your vet, how do I stop a Shih Tzu from eating his poo? When he does it, I can't bring him into the house. Oh, this is a really hard one. Um, so there is a few reasons why we might have this, you know, the situation of a, a dog or cat eating their own poo. Now, very, very rarely it can actually be due to a medical problem. So a deficiency uh, for one reason or in a mineral or vitamin that they might be kind of seeking out their own source of that mineral or vitamin in their own poo. The vast majority of the time, however, in an otherwise normal, healthy dog or cat, it is behavioural. Um, okay. What I can say is discouraging the behaviour can be a real, real challenge. But the best way of doing it is two things. One is distraction. Try and find lots of other things for them to be doing and playing. Um, And the second one is you can get little supplements that you add into their food from your vet that will make the poo smell and taste bad. So it kind of discourages that behaviour, breaks that cycle. So they'll eat their food with the, the special the special powder in it which they, they can't taste when they they're can't eating. taste when they're eating okay. it'll go down through come out the other side in, in poo format and it will smell and taste bad so it'll kind of discourage them from fulfilling that normal behaviour that they have of eating that poo and break the cycle I know it can be really frustrating and it can be a and little a bit lot, gross it's, it's, yeah. it's one, I have to say it's one of those issues that comes up regularly yeah. on this lot it just it's so it's common enough you know it's I wouldn't say it, it's, it's not uncommon yeah. we do come across it certainly and it tends to be younger dogs and cats as well 
And I think a lot of the time, sometimes it's that they they try their poo out once and then think, oh, this is great fun. <laughs> um, and then it kind of that's, perpetuates that's the behaviour. Dogs, that's dogs. Yeah. yeah. Lisa says, hi, um, uh, Patricia, I have a question for you, Vet. I drive by a field with some cattle who are being wintered out and they look very thin and miserable. Should I report them? I don't know anything really about cattle. Oh, you know, it's it's a very difficult one. Um, if they're a local neighbour of yours, you could always call in, say hi, um, check everything's okay. But I would say that the vast majority of of farmers out there do a great job in kind of trying to keep their stock as as well as they can. Now, if you are genuinely concerned that there is a problem, maybe maybe have a word with them. But I I would say in the vast majority of cases, they are great at judging and taking care of the welfare and and feeding of their own cattle. I think it can be difficult in these harsh conditions. Um, judging like like we said earlier sometimes the weather mm. is a little bit unpredictable um, and like every, everywhere winter is a time when stock do tend to lose condition a little bit sometimes if it is a little bit colder than we were expecting um, I think as as vets ourselves as well you have to remember that um, farmers do have quite a, a good relationship with their vets most of the time and we, we would be very familiar popping in and out and together working as a team with them we'd work quite hard to make sure that the Okay so keep an eye on if you have good. concerns Yeah if you yeah. have concerns maybe if they are a neighbour of yours just drop in to check that they're okay. Yeah. It's very much like having other people in the neighbourhood just making sure that everything's okay. Yeah. There might be something yeah. we don't know about. Can you give yeah. the name of the powder again as a listener for the for the dog pool? You know, I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. I Oh, I do. It's Corporanil. That's Cor- it. Spell it. C-O-P-R-O-N-I-L. I'm writing it down because I know sure. I know it's going to be one. That's I know going, there's different ones up. available on okay. the market, but that's the one that we have. Okay. Um, hi, Jane, the vet. I just got my new foster dog this week. Oh, well done, you! An 18-month-old Jack Russell. She hops a lot on three legs. Okay. One of the back legs, she holds up. She isn't in any pain. She springs up and down and jumps up and down from the couch. I've noticed other Jack Russells do this too. Is it a common feature with Jack Russell's as Jane come across it before? Yeah, you know, it is actually. It's is it? a really interesting one. Yeah, it is. Um, so hopping and kind of like intermittent hopping behaviour, particularly on the back legs, can actually be quite a common thing. And usually in these breeds, particularly Jack Russell's, it's to do with their little kneecaps. Okay. Okay. So if you imagine when we're walking along, if you feel your own kneecap, it's quite sturdy. It's stuck into place quite well so that when you walk and run and jump, it stays where it's meant to and it does its job of helping the knee to, to glide and move properly. Now, Jack Russells and other small breed pets sometimes have a problem where their kneecap might be a little bit looser than normal. Okay, so yeah. when they're running along, all of a sudden, for one reason or another, their kneecap just kind of wobbles to the side slightly, and then they go oh 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 and hops along for a second, and then it's they a bit painful. exactly they yeah. might just stretch the leg again and then back into place. The pops and they'll wander off like nothing's ever happened again, and that's quite a common pattern of lameness that we see in these little dogs. Now, a lot of the time, if it's just happening very occasionally and it's just for a step or two every now and again, it doesn't really cause any great impact on their quality of life and on let's say their, their movement of Nothing their limbs. Nothing needs to be done. Um, a lot of the time, no, if it's very mild. But what I would say is there is a great deal of range of problem that can be from the same thing. Um, and certainly from what your listener is saying, that's what I would be suspecting. But without examining, it would be incredibly difficult to say. So I would I would suggest popping to your vet for a full examination um, and talk through the history and make sure that that's the problem. But from my perspective, that would be one of the most common things that would yeah, fit with the description. Yeah, but the fact it's a foster dog, you mightn't have a history. No, exactly, yeah, you mightn't have yeah, a history. But I'd say pop to your vet, yeah, get it checked get it over. Checked. Emer in Bandon, any help for a dog who's got bad breath? Uh, mm. Can I give him anything? He eats fine, good healthy diet, and he is healthy except for this breath issue. He is a five-year-old neutered Labrador. Ugh. 
Okay, uh, really common one here. We all struggle with it. Um, bad breath is mainly because of either it's it's a character build up in the mouth usually to be honest a lot of the time it might not be see something that we can see very easily so i think one of the most common things is owners tell me that they they've looked at the teeth and they can't see anything wrong but a lot of the time when you're looking at the teeth at home um if that was something you feel comfortable to do then you're usually seeing the front teeth and that's not where the tartar normally hides out normally it hides out in the depths at the back and i think looking at that area is best left to the professionals as it were for safety reasons now when you have a tartar build up on the mouth you can do lots of things to prevent further tartar buildup and prevent the breath getting any worse and they will be feeding a hard food diet so some kind of nuts some crunchiness you can get special dental diets that kind of work to suck the tartar or the biofilm that will eventually become the tartar off the teeth as they eat you Is can there dental sticks for dogs you can do dental sticks now yeah. They're good in a chewing perspective, but what I would say is I tend to see a lot of dogs that are on dentist sticks every day or have to, half a dentist stick in the day. And sometimes they'll come in with weight problems. Yeah. They're very high in calories. It's kind oh, of like us. They? It's kind of like us eating a Mars bar every day. Oh, um, okay. So they're good to a point, but I would just be aware that they can be very high in calories. And okay, we don't for a very active dog. For a very active dog, it will be fine. Yeah. But if you have, let's say, a more sedentary dog that likes the comforts of life and sitting on the sofa, I'd maybe find another alternative. Now, the number one thing we can all do to prevent tartar buildup and improve the breath of our dog's teeth is toothbrushing. Now, everyone always laughs at me, so that's not possible but it is now it can take time and patience and taking it very slowly speak to your vet about how best to go about that but my one main tip would be normal toothbrushes are fine but human toothpaste is not the way to go no don't like the taste of menthol and sometimes it can have sweeteners in it that can be toxic to pets so always make sure you use a veterinary toothpaste that's really important but speak to your vet about how to go about starting off toothbrushing because that is by far the cheapest and by far the most effective way of bringing the breath down a good tip if you're with a pup get, get start that early start it early yeah, exactly I like think grooming. if you have got a really bad breath problem you'll probably need to ve- visit your vet for a scale and polish um, and start from scratch with the tooth health Tony in Coachford has a cat that he needs to get to the vet for injections but he can't get the cat into the cat cage. She'll take the hand and all and everything. She scratches them. Um, Just seems to be a very nervous cat. She's about two or three. She has been neutered so she's been to the vets before but she needs to get injections. They've tried putting food in. No luck. They don't want to just pick her up and bring her in their arms because she's obviously a very nervous cat mm-hmm. in case she jumps away. Mm-hmm. Any advice in getting her into a I, cat basket? I think first of all, well done in thinking about putting her into the cat basket. It always terrifies me when owners bring in cats or dogs, either without a lead on in the case of dogs or not in a cat basket. It is asking for trouble and trust me you're giving your vet a heart attack every time you appear without your animal in a cat basket or with a lead on and cats have jumped and gone at the vet they have yeah, yeah they and then have. there's a big panic trying it's to terrifying. trying to find where the cat's it gone uh, trust me you will be doing everybody in the building at the vets a massive favour if you can get them into a cat basket or keep your dog on a lead because it's for their own safety and your safety as well the last thing we all want is to have an accident where that pet runs away or gets scared and you might say oh my pet's really calm and quiet nothing will happen but believe me there's lots of strange smells lots of strange noises at the vets and there's usually other animals and particularly a mix of dogs and cats Mm. you don't want to risk that so my top tip would be take time okay so you get your cat basket line it with a nice comfy blanket that smells of your cat and the week before you need to go to the vets or even two weeks or a month depending on how scared your cat is of that basket put that cat basket where your cat normally sleeps and make it really inviting and leave the door open never close it um 
put it in their environment so that they become familiar with it. It's no longer a scary thing that they always associate with leaving. And then feed your cat next to it. And then slowly edge the bowl towards the cat carrier every day. So that when they go to eat, they're getting closer to the cat carrier. They know it's not scary. Get to the point where you can feed your cat inside the cat carrier. And then get to the point where you can close the door. Mm. Good tip. Yeah. Take and it your works. Time. And it, it works. works. But just it, take it, but, it, but it will take time. It takes time. Yeah. I have a cat time. who never, I mean, I did something similar to get him used to the cat carrier. But the minute we got to the vets, it, it's the smell. Is it the yeah. Is it? Yeah. A really handy tip there is, I know certainly when people come into our surgery, we um, we can always, if you ask us, um, supply you with a little blanket and we can spray it with a happy kind of cat pheromone, as it were. You can put it over the cat basket. It kind of hides the <laughs> smells of the other dogs hanging around. So <laughs> ask your vet. Does it work? You know, in some cats, it really works really yeah. well. I know we have a cattery at one of our other sites in Mill Street and we always have the, the pheromone plug-in going on there. And I, you know, when we set that up I thought all of the cats would be really worried in there but it's like they're on holiday it's like they're at a spa because they, they seem to smell the pheromone and they are the most relaxed I can't yeah. I can't and I, I, I think that her. idea of covering the cat basket because yeah. it, I mean even if a cat is feeling secure inside the cat basket if a big German shepherd is looking mm-hmm. in at him. Exactly. And another thing that's really handy is cats really like to be up high. So when you get to the waiting room and you're sitting with your cat, maybe ask for a blanket to cover it over or even bring one with yourself. Yeah. Or maybe ask if they have Feliway, which is the pheromone to spray. Um, or you can, I'm sure lots of vets would stock that to buy as well to be kind of best prepared as it were. But I would avoid putting your cat carrier down on the floor if you can. If you can put it up on the seat beside you or on your knees, cats like to be up high. Mm. Um, that will definitely make them feel. They feel more secure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about cat snip? Do you, uh, are you a oh, fan of catnip. that? Catnip. Catnip. Oh, uh, for for a way of tempting them to come into the vets or anything like that, probably not. Yeah. Um, some cats seem to go mad for it. Yeah. You know, I one of one of my little cats, Darwin, is just he just pays no attention. I just you know, oh, you isn't know? that funny? Yeah, yeah it's funny. Yeah. It seems to be very, very variable. But as for something to relax them, it's more of kind of a plaything. Sometimes yeah. toys loaded with it, but no. I didn't. I, did, I thought all cats reacted to it, but obviously not. They don't yeah. seem to. Uh, no. Okay, I had cats who huge were huge fans of it. Okay, <laughs> we leave it there. Thank you for that. Have a lovely week, and uh, we'll chat again uh, next week. That's Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara uh, for producing. Nick is with you. Talk to you tomorrow at ten. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.